been with us over the summer. We've been studying uh, bit by bit, kind of chunk by chunk through the book of James, and we are wrapping that up today. And I'm excited because one of our group's pastors, James, uh, is going to help us finish the book of James. And so um, it's it's not ironic at all. It's awesome. And so uh, we are excited about that. Uh, I'm not preaching this week. I'll be preaching next week. Excited about that. We're going to kick off a whole new series next week. Uh, I'm going to actually go watch what happens in our kids' rooms with all of your kids uh, while we're in here, because I'm always in here. I never get a chance to be out there, and so I'm excited that James is going to be preaching today. Would you open your Bible to James chapter 5, and we will get going today. Awesome. Thank you, Richie. Well, how are you guys doing today? You're good. All right, you're alive. Good. This is, this is good. Richie said, uh, my name is James, and uh, I am excited to be here with you today. Uh, how many of you have been here for the whole James series? number of you? A lot of you. So it's been, it's been an awesome series, right, as we go through it. Um, a lot of gut punches, you know, a lot of hard things just to say. I'm happy to say that today, James is not going to do that. Um, he's going to be nice today. So I'm excited about that. But if you remember back from the very, very beginning, James opened up with this phrase of considerate pure joy when you encounter trials of various kinds. This idea that we have the opportunity to choose joy when we go through these different circumstances in life. And, and over these past several weeks, we've seen what a lot of those trials are, um, how we navigate those, things that we must overcome, things that we need wisdom in, things that, uh, parts of our lives that we need to manage well if we're going to look and feel like Jesus. And as he closes his letter, he's going to encourage us and inspire us really to, to pray. He's saying, choose joy, and I want to end by saying, you know what, you need to pray. That's where it all starts. And so that's where we're headed today. I'm super excited about it, super excited that you are here. But before we get started, I just want to pray for you. So if you would bow your head so I can pray for you at this time. God, you are so good. I'm so thankful that you have brought every single person in this room here for a purpose. God, you love every single person in this room. And as you and I have been talking throughout these past several weeks, God, you've given me a love for every single person in this room. God, you know every story, every circumstance, every situation, and you want to meet every single one of us right where we're at. You want to show us who you are, God, and you want to help us take that next step, whatever it may be. And so, Jesus, we ask that you would lead us this morning. We ask that your spirit would be present here this morning, guiding us, directing us. As we've prayed earlier, give us soft hearts. God, we want to hear what it is that you have to say to us. You're so faithful, God, and so we believe you for this, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if we're going to talk about prayer this morning, um, I need to start off by being honest. And say that there's two things, doubt and overthinking, are two things that have absolutely plagued my prayer life at times in my life. These are times in my life where my heart is so stubborn that all I can see is the problem before me, how big it is, how complex it is, how it needs to be overthought several times. And I can also see, as we prayed about earlier, my inadequacies, the things that I lack, the things that, God, I'm not ready. God, I don't have that yet. I'm not ready for that yet. And these things can bind me up and keep me from actually coming to God 
and asking for him. It's in these times that I'm so focused on these things that I'm not remembering. I'm, I've forgotten who God is and what he's done for me. See, while I would never say it, pretty much while I would still confess Jesus as my Lord and Savior, and I would claim to be a disciple of Jesus, if you were to look at my life, I'm kind of like a functional atheist. Someone who's figuring out, I got to figure this out all on my own. God, I know you're over here, but like, I got to put my nose down and figure this thing out. And sometimes that's how it can be. But I kind of laugh as I think about our whole series through James because I think we actually had this as a point one week, but I think we probably could have made this point every single week, and that is keep it simple. And the reason that I say that is because through all of James's encouragement and instruction, the difficulty has not been in understanding what he's asking us to do. Whether it's taming our tongue, whether it's managing our finances, uh, how we deal with people, the difficulty has not been in, in what he's asking us to do. It's been a difficulty of the will. It's been my will against God's will. Me having to humble myself and say Jesus' way is, is best. And that's the way that I'm going to go. And, and here's what, what I mean. I think all of us in this room, we would agree that prayer is a good thing, right? Right. We can all agree that prayer is a good thing. However, if you were to look at my, my day planner or my calendar, my phone, things that I spend my time on, how much time do we actually spend praying? And if I'm honest with myself, I would say that the amount of time that I spend praying is there's a relationship to what I actually think about prayer. Is it something that I should, should do, something that I want to do? What are my feelings and thoughts towards prayer? And so the thing is that while all of these strategizing, all these things, they're not bad. What James wants to really encourage us in this, this morning and, and really inspire us to do is to really realize that while all these things, they're not bad things, but it's our prayer life is where things begin. Our prayer life is what actually has the most potential to bring about life and healing and change in the world around us. That's the thing that makes the difference. So that's where he's going with us today. Are, are you ready to go there with him? We're ready. Okay, we're excited. We're going to grow in this. It's going to be good. So as Richie said, uh, James chapter 5 is where we're going to be at. Uh, the last seven verses here is where James is going to wrap things up. Starting in verse 13, here's what James has to say to us. He says, is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. For the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. So these first few verses here, James is saying, this is, this is what I want you to do. This is what I, the action that I want you to take out of this. And so James has done this a lot. He follows this up with either a story, a word picture of, hey, this is kind of what it's like. Or sometimes he uses an example of somebody else in Scripture that had done this. Last week it was Job. Grayson helped us understand that. This week, James wants to say, I want to tell you about this guy named Elijah. 
Elijah was a prophet of God in, in the Old Testament. You can read about him in the book of 1 Kings. But a prophet of God is just a, a, one of God's messengers, somebody that God has chosen to speak through, to encourage, to convict, to challenge his people. And so James says, I'm going to use this story of Elijah to tell you what I'm talking about. He says, Elijah, although he was a prophet of God, he was just a human being, even as we are, just like you and me. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. So this picture of Elijah, Elijah prayed, he's a man just like you and me, and he prays, and it doesn't rain for three and a half years. And then just like he had never prayed that, he prays again, and the skies open up, and it starts raining. So James says, here's what I want you to do. Here's kind of what it's like. Here's how effective it is. And this last section, he says, this is the why behind it. This is why it's so important. This is why I want to, this is the last thing I want to say to you. He says to them and he says to us this morning, my brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the air of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. That's the why. Prayer is effective. The prayer of a righteous person is effective. And so that's what James wants us to get out of this today. And so if you're taking notes, you've got your note card. That's what we're talking about. How do we live a life of faithful prayer? This life that James wants to encourage us to have, what does it look like and how do we do it? And there's a few things that we can, can kind of take note of as we go through this. Again, I said before, we could, every week we could say just keep it simple. Because that first spot, if you're taking notes, that first blank on there is just simply, if we are going to live a life of effective and faithful prayer, we've got to pray. We've got to be a people who pray. But here's the thing, again, whether it's doubt, overthinking, there's so many things that keep us from praying, and a lot of that comes from we don't understand what pray is or why we're supposed to pray. And so if you're here for the first time, maybe you're interested in, like I've heard people pray before, but I'm not really sure what this is all about. Very, very simply put, prayer is a conversation between you and God. A conversation to where you simply bring the innermost thoughts, feelings, emotions, desires, struggles, challenges, things that you're happy about, things that you're thankful for, whatever is in you, you bring it to God. And then you listen. And he tells you what, what he thinks about it. Does he agree with you? Does he see things a different way? Does he maybe want to challenge you or guide you in a different way? See, where we get off base is when I think that I've got to clean up my prayers because God only wants to hear certain kinds of prayers, so I better, I better change them up a bit. But God doesn't want that. God says, I'll take care of that part. You just bring to me everything that's within you. Because as C.S. Lewis and so many other people have said after him and before him, the point of prayer isn't to change God. Prayer changes me. When I bring my thoughts and emotions and feelings to him, he then listens, he then redirects, he then inspires, he speaks, he gives guidance and direction. Prayer is one of the ways, one of the gifts that God has given us to be led, but also to lead other people. 
And so that's what prayer is. Why do we pray? James tells us here in this first verse, he gives us three examples that he asked to the people that he's writing to. And, and I think he asked to, to those sitting in this room here this morning. So real life, as you sit here this morning, is anyone in here in trouble right now? Are you in financial trouble? Are you in relational trouble? Is your marriage in trouble? Is one of your kids in trouble? Is anyone in trouble? James says, let them pray. Bring that trouble to God. Talk to him about it. Then he says, uh, is anyone happy? Anyone in here happy this morning in your life? You can, it's okay. You can be happy. Happy is a good thing. He says, is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. There's to be this outflow, this overflow of what's going on inside of us. That's what prayer is. And so we just spent time worshiping. Matthew and the team up here doing a tremendous job leading us in a time of worship. If you're happy, your job is not to stand and just watch and observe and see what everyone else is doing. Your job is if you're happy, it's a time of prayer for you, a, a time of praise for you of speaking through your mouth and your emotions and your expressions of what God is doing in you. And then he says, is anyone in here sick? I've had so many conversations with so many of you these past several weeks that I know a lot of you are dealing with sickness. Maybe it's a weekend sickness. Maybe it's a week-long sickness. Maybe it's something you've been dealing with for months or years. And some of you are dealing with sicknesses that there doesn't seem to be an end in sight. And James says, if you're sick, call the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anoint you with oil in the name of the Lord. Because the elders, these are these righteous men who have been given the task of taking care of God's people. He says, call on them because the prayer of a righteous person is, is powerful and effective. So this is why we pray. But one of the things that I've heard recently is that if we're going to get better at prayer, that the way to do that is to actually pray. But there's so many things that keep us from praying. I don't know about you, but sometimes um, you can come and think like, well, I've got to get it right. I've got to say the right words. I've got to say the right phrases, use the right repetitions, talk to the right members. Of, of the Trinity, if you grew up in the church. I've got to do it right. But to get better at prayer, to improve at prayer, let's be honest, we're, we're all somewhere on this scale. I don't think any of us would say that we pray enough. Um, if you, you are, that's fine. I need to hang out with you. I'm not going to say I pray enough, but, but when it comes to praying right, there's only really one requirement, and that is just to be honest, real, open, raw. We don't need to clean our prayers up to come before God. That's, that's his job. If they need redirected, he'll redirect them. But our job is just to pray, just to start somewhere. But I've had so many uh, talks and conversations with people who have said, you know what, like, I pray all the time at home, but when I'm in a group of people, I, I don't pray in front of other people. You ever said that? I don't feel comfortable praying in front of other people. I don't feel like I can pray like that person. Or, or I'm embarrassed of what other people are going to think. This is a very real reason, and I think it's, a, it's something that the enemy is very, very aware of because he knows 
the power of prayer and the effectiveness of prayer. And so if that's you, there's a couple different situations I just want to invite some encouragement into. If that's you and you're saying, I can't pray in front of people. I can't pray right. I don't pray good enough. I just want to tell you that there is absolutely nothing that you have to prove to anyone. Prayer is a conversation in the same way that the person sitting next to you, you can just talk to them. You can just talk to God about whatever's going on. If you're upset, if you're frustrated, if you don't understand, God gave you emotion, so express that emotion. He can handle it. But the second thing that kind of stood out to me was kind of convicting to me because as I heard these conversations, I started realizing and thinking that a lot of people that were saying this were people who have been in small group and environments like that with me, and they have heard me pray. And this thought started to come to my mind is the way that I'm praying in a group setting, making it seem like prayer is not something that's accessible for everyone. Do I talk to people a certain way and then I pray one way? Is it different? Or, or is the way that I'm praying, is it vulnerable? Does it have an emotion, an expression of just whatever's going on inside of me, it's just got to get out? That really offers an invitation and, and makes it free for people to join in and say, yes, I have stuff I need to get out too. And so if that's you, I just want to encourage you that as you're in, in group settings, obviously when it's you and God and you're at home, you pray whatever God is putting on your heart. But when you're in group settings, think about the people who are, who are around you. What is their view of God? Do they struggle to talk to him? Do they need help? How can you encourage? When we pray in a real open and honest way, we're able to do that. And I'm going to be honest, this, this takes training. In fact, a lot of times as I've grown in this, if you were to drive past me in my car, you would probably think I'm crazy. Because one of the things that I've really started to do, especially over these past few weeks as God's been working on me on this, is as I'm driving, I've got about a 25, 30-minute drive to and from here. And I've just started to visualize that God is sitting right next to me in my passenger seat. And we just talk about the morning. We talk about what's coming up today. We may even talk about the Mariners since they're doing okay this year. But we just talk about whatever is going on. And I just find things flowing out of me. Sometimes it's anger. Sometimes, sometimes it is things that shouldn't be there. But God doesn't cut me off. He just listens like a, like a good friend. And then when I'm finally done, then he just simply says, like, okay, I, I, I hear where you're at. Thanks for sharing with me. Let me tell you who I am and what I want to do in and through you. But it's something that we gotta, we have to train ourselves and we've got to practice. Like I said, we've got to start somewhere, be willing to go through the clumsiness or the clunkiness of, of not knowing what we're doing or not having confidence and trust that he's going to guide and direct us. And so if we're going to have a life of faithful prayer, we've got to pray, number one. And it's going to grow from there. Secondly, if you're taking notes, we want to pray in numbers. And uh, this, this is clever a little bit, so hopefully it works. We're talking about in numbers in two different ways. One, it's the number of times that we are praying. The number of times that we are praying, but also not just by addition, but also by multiplication. James talks about bringing other people in, whether it's having the elders pray over you or whether that's confessing sin with other people that you may be forgiven and healed. So we're talking about addition and multiplication. So first of all, it's the number of prayers. To illustrate this, uh, 
James tells us a story about this, this prophet of God named Elijah. And really, to understand what's really going on here, you've got to put the passage in James 5 together with the, the story of Elijah in 1 Kings 17 and 18. Because if you read them just separately, they don't necessarily line up. But if you put them together, you get the full picture of what's going on. And we read that depending on your translation, what you read there, it says that Elijah prayed either fervently or earnestly. And there's some of in this room, the English majors, that may use that word a lot. That's not a word that I use very often, fervently and earnestly. But what is he talking about there? He's talking about this idea of, of persistence, of praying often. In fact, if you go back to 1 Kings and read that story of Elijah, you find that really when, when he asked God to keep it from raining, it wasn't really much of what you and I would call a prayer. He basically just spoke in confidence and power that this is something that God can do and God did it. And then if you read to three and a half years later after there's been this drought, he then comes and he prays. And we're told that he bends his, his body to the ground and he puts his head between his knees and he's in desperation. But he's praying and we find that he has this, this servant and he sends this servant out seven different times. He's praying nonstop. He's got this idea of persistence, but it's not only just praying often, he's also praying simply. Again, it's not this formula saying like, well, God, I prayed this time and, and it didn't rain, so I'll pray a different way this time, or I'll use different words, or, or I'll, maybe I'll make it a little bit longer, a little bit shorter. It's just a simple pray. God, please let it rain. Sends a servant out. Is it raining yet? No, he comes back. He says, God, please let it rain. Sends a servant out. Nope, Nothing. Seven times he sends his servant out. So he's praying continuously, and he's praying with this idea of simplicity, simple language. Richie talked about that Connect card earlier that's on your seat. Yeah, we want to hear from you. If you flip that card over, there's a spot for you to put prayer requests. We get those every week. We go over those as a staff. We, we give them out to people, and we pray, and we call, we, we call people, and we pray for them. We pray on their voicemail. We pray in person. We meet up with them when we pray with them. But there's one card that I always look forward to getting almost every week it comes in. And I love it because it's the exact same one or two requests worded the exact same way. They don't change it. They don't modify it. They don't say, well, God, you didn't answer the prayer last week, so maybe I didn't get it right. I'll, I'll change it up a little bit and see if I've got better results this week. The prayer is just simply, God, this is what I need you to do in my life right now. You know what's going on. You know what's going on in my family. You know what's going on with work situations. This is where I need you to move. And so it's a simple, short request. Same thing every single week. And we pray for it every single week. That's this idea of persistence and simplicity. And so it's the number of prayers. It's the, the praying often. That's the addition part of it. But it's also the multiplication where we get other people involved. He talks about either having the elders to come and pray, pray over you getting as many people as possible to pray for and with what's going on in your life. But also this idea of, of confessing your sin to one another, that's also a form of prayer. Confessing to people and asking them to pray over you. And it is true that uh, there is a freedom and a healing that comes from uh, being forgiven or forgiving somebody when they have, have wronged you. That is absolutely true. But I think there's a deeper meaning here. And that is 
as we confess our sin and confess what's going on in our lives to one another, something really powerful happens, and that is we are no longer alone. See, the enemy, he knows this truth about prayer. And so he comes at you and me all the time saying, no one else is like you. You can never tell anyone about this this thing that's going on in your life. You're the only one that's struggling like that. You just got to hold on to it, and you just got to bear through. Because he knows that if you and I try to do that, it's eventually going to kill us. But here's the amazing thing is that as soon as you let somebody into that situation, that feeling, that thought, that strange way that only you think, you're the only one that thinks that way. But as soon as you share that with another person, it has no power. It's lost its power on you. Here's, here's what it's like. If one day we were to decide that we're going to have a night service in this room and we changed all the formation of the chairs so you can't go off what you've previously learned, say so we're going to have a night service and it's going to be really special because we're not going to turn the lights on. It's going to be completely dark. Okay, that's what it's like when we hold on to something and we think that no one else can understand what we're going through. We walk through the room and we're tripping over things, we're stumbling over things. We're running into things we don't even know, and the only thing that comes in our mind is, what's next? And our mind starts to go down this path. But what happens if we decide to flip the switch on? The same struggles exist, the same problems exist, the same challenges exist, but two things happen. One thing, the lights are on, and now I can see where I'm going. I can kind of maneuver and step around these things, But the other very interesting thing and very powerful thing is that you find out when you turn the lights on that you're not the only one in the room. There's a bunch of people in the room that are trying to find their way around. And you've been running into each other, you've been tripping over things. But now you realize, wow, it's not just me. Everyone else is trying to figure out life as well. And so we want to pray in numbers is what James is saying. And lastly... And this is where it gets really good. He says, we want to pray for miracles. We want to pray for supernatural things to happen. The place where this starts is realizing who we pray to. Whether you've grown up in the church, you've never been in a church, this is your first time in a church, I'm guessing there's a really good chance that at some point in your life, you have heard something that is known as the Lord's Prayer. Maybe it was at at an event that you were at. But the Lord's Prayer starts out with a phrase like this. It says, Our Father who is in heaven, holy is your name. You heard this before? We're just going to stop at that phrase because that phrase is so powerful. Because here's here's what it says. Every single person in this room is created in God's image. That's an amazing thing to realize, something to hold on to. But that doesn't mean that we are equal with God. See, we're down here and we're trying to navigate pandemics and things like that. We're trying to navigate political situations and school situations and all these things, relational situations. And and we're just trying to take a one day at a time trying to figure out what in the world is going on. But God's not like us. He's not down here navigating all this. He's not trying to to decide left from right or up from down. Or good from bad. See, that first part of the Lord's Prayer says that we have a Father who's not down here. He's in heaven. 
And he's on a throne. He's not confused by what's going on. He's on a throne observing the whole thing. He, he knows how things turn out. He has the power to do whatever he wants to do. He's not confused. He's not perplexed. And as we realize that, that's where our confidence comes from. Our confidence comes from that, that God, I can bring this problem to you because it's not a problem for you. It's not this big overarching thing that it's just, it's jamming me up completely. And so we understand who God is, who it is that we're having this conversation with, and that gives us a confidence of what we can pray for. See, that's where Elijah comes into the picture. Elijah is just a human, just like you and me. He could be sitting right here this morning. But Elijah's praying for supernatural things because he realizes who he's talking to. Elijah knows that he can't stop the rain or he can't make the rain come. But he realizes that the person that he's talking to spoke the whole thing into existence. He can change things just by speaking a word. Here's the thing that sets Elijah apart and the encouragement that James wants to give to us this morning. Elijah saw and received miracles because he believed that miracles happen. He prayed with confidence, asking God to do things that he knew that God can do and he believed that God would do. See, as you read through that story again in 1 Kings 17 and 18, you find that there's absolutely no reason that people should have expected rain after three and a half years of drought. If we didn't have rain for three and a half years, especially in the Pacific Northwest, that would be really, really weird. But as you got to that three and a half year point, there would be no reason to think that on this day, I'm going to wake up and this day is going to be different. But Elijah prayed and he prayed with confidence because he knew he, who he was talking to. And so we see that he sent his servant out seven times. The first six times the servant comes back, nope, Elijah, there's nothing. There's nothing. There's nothing. Sends him out the seventh time and the servant comes back and says, Elijah, there's a cloud the size of a man's hand that's coming up from the sea. And Elijah said, that's it. It's coming. You go tell King Ahab, who was the king at the time, he says, you go tell him he better get in his chariot now and he better get moving because if he doesn't, the rain is going to stop him. See, it's not just going to be a little sprinkle or a few drops here and there when this drought ends. It's a downpour that's coming. Elijah knew that, that this was possible because of who God is. And what this shows us in some of a comical way that like, it's not difficult for God to change the weather. It's not hard at all for God to change the weather. He can make it rain. He can make it stop raining. He can make it snow. He can make it sunny. In fact, I went to school in Michigan for, for a year, and um, he can do that in one day. Amazing. Not difficult for God at all. But what you find in the motivation for, for James's writing here in these last few verses is the why. By praying for people, we can bring people back who have wandered away. See, the weather isn't difficult to change. It's the human heart that's difficult to change. It's always been that way, and it remains that way till today. To first learn about it, we can go back to a story in the book of Exodus. Further, before Kings, we hear about when God calls out his people, and when he comes to them, he finds that they're in slavery in Egypt. 
And he says, I'm going to set my people free. And so he chooses this guy named Moses. And he says, Moses, go tell this Pharaoh, this king, to let my people go because I'm setting them free. But there's only one problem is this Pharaoh, this king says, no, they're not leaving. God doesn't enter into an argument because, again, God's on the throne. This isn't, this isn't debatable. Here's what God says. He says, today I'm going to show, Moses, show Pharaoh who I am. Pharaoh and all of Egypt are going to know who God is today. And so through this sequence of, of 10 miraculous plagues, things like changing water to blood and, and bringing frogs out of nowhere and flooding the land with them and, and bringing light on certain spots of the land and darkness on other parts of the land, all these supernatural things that only God can do. Finally, after the 10th one, Pharaoh says, I can't take it anymore. People can go. And so God delivers his people from Egypt. And so they're making their way through the desert and, and they come to this spot to where they're standing on the seashore. They're standing in front of this, this great sea. And as they're standing in front of there and they're waiting to see what's going to happen, where do we go from here? They look behind them and it looks like the Egyptians have changed their mind and they're not happy about letting them go. They're coming after them and they're coming out to take them out. And in that moment, God does another miraculous thing that's never been done before. He takes the sea and he splits it in half. Scripture tells us that there is a wall of water on the right and a wall of water on the left, but nothing in the middle. He provides a supernatural way for his people to walk through. And so all of the Israelites, God's people, walk through this dry land. And if that wasn't enough, as soon as they get on the other side, God takes his hand off the water and it all collapses again. And the Egyptians who have tried to follow the Israelites in, they're completely taken out. God intervenes supernaturally in a way that only he can see. Getting God's people out of Egypt was never the problem. That was the easy part. But as you continue to read through that story, we find that the, the difficult part, the problem was getting Egypt, getting the, the gods of Egypt, the culture of Egypt, the passions of Egypt, all of the finer things of Egypt. The harder thing was getting those things out of God's people. Because after everything miraculous and after everything supernatural they'd experienced, after they come through at the first sign of discomfort, the first time that they're like, we're hungry, we're thirsty, it's too hot, it's not hot enough. Their heart goes to complain and grumbling. And the first thing out of their mouth is, take us back to Egypt. The hard thing isn't for God to do supernatural things. The hard thing is for us to believe that he can. See, at the beginning I said that there's these things, doubt and overthinking. These are the things that jam me up. Sometimes get me off kilter in my family, at home, everywhere I go but it's the prayers of God's people that brings me back. Some of you have gone astray. Maybe you're astray right now. God's people are praying for you because they realize who he is. And they're praying miraculous prayers for you right now. Your situation may seem impossible, but God is in the business of impossible. 
that's what James wants to encourage us to do. To pray often, to pray simply, to pray for miracles. That's the kind of church that we want to be. So excited to be able to get to learn this along with you. We want to be a church that, that prays. We want to be a, a church that is known for praying for healing when people are sick. We want to be a church that is known for praying for miracles. A church that is known for, for recognizing miracles because that's part of it. If we don't look for and recognize miracles, we'll look around and see things as coincidences. But as people of, of faithful prayer, we look around and we know the things that we've been asking God to do and we see him answering things all around us. Some of you are experiencing them even right now. This is the kind of church that we want to be. We don't want to be a church that just talks about prayer. We want to be a church that prays. That's why a minute ago we had Richie come up here and he led us in a time of prayer. It's a time to teach us how to talk to God. What kind of things should we be praying for? What kind of things are we praying for? And because we want to be a church of prayer is also the reason why we close every service with a time of prayer. It's a time where every week we get to ask those same questions that James asks us. Is anyone in trouble? Is anyone happy? Is anyone sick? typically we have pastors, we have the staff, we have our leaders up front to pray with you. But James has gotten really specific this week. And so this week we want to bring some of the elders of real life up front. That if you need prayer, these are righteous men. That God has called, he has put in a position to care for and shepherd and lead this church. These men cry over they sweat, they bleed for God's people. And these men are here because they want to pray for you. They want to pray over you. And so in a moment, you're going to have an opportunity to do that, to come forward in obedience to what God has shown you, what God is doing in your life today as we gather together. And so I want to invite you to, to, to be courageous this morning. We all start somewhere. close by just asking you to stand to your feet this morning in real life. God is at work in this place. He's doing miracles among us. Do you see him? Do you see those people that Richie talked about that got baptized last week? Do you see that as an absolute miracle that someone has decided to die to their way of life and give their heart to Jesus? absolute miracle. He's doing miracles every single day and he wants to do them even this morning. So if you're in need of a miracle this morning, I just want to ask you to humbly come and as we, we bow our heads, as we close our eyes this morning, just to simply open your hands and say, God, I I need your touch this morning. I've wandered astray. I need to be brought back. Maybe God's put it on your heart that someone that you know has wandered astray. 
and you need to pray for that person so that they might be brought back. God, I thank you so much for meeting us in this place this morning. Again, all you asked us to do was just to come with an expectancy. You told us you'll be here, you'll be faithful, you'll do your part. Our part is just to obey. And God, I thank you for the, again, just the love that you have for every person in this room. All these situations, God, this room represents so many situations that are different and unique, and you know each and every single one of them. Each one of them requires courage, God, because each one is unique to the, to the person who's going through them. God, I pray that you would bind the enemy this morning who wants to say, you've got to keep this to yourself. You can't ever let anyone else know about this. God, I pray that this room would be filled with freedom this morning, that as your spirit moves, you would set people free, you would heal people, you would strengthen people, and you would offer people hope this morning. God, let this room be filled with courage. Let us be a church that prays for and with one another. If we need to come forward, let us come forward. If we need to pray for the person next to us, let us do that, God. You tell us where to go. You tell us what you're doing. And we'll be people who follow. God, you are so kind in that you offer guidance and direction to us. We love you so much. You are so good. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Real Life, I love you so much. Again, we talked about those cards earlier. If you've got those Connect cards or giving envelopes, please drop those in the boxes in the back. We just want to close our time together by just praying. So if you need prayer, please come forward. We've got the elders, pastors here. We'd love to pray over you. If you need to pray with somebody that's standing right beside you, do that. But let's just be a church that prays this morning. Love you so much, Real Life. Have a great weekend. We'll see you next Sunday.